Is there someone from your life that you need to forgive? The following super brief episode is one of a series on the topic of forgiveness. In each show, Dr. Alexandra asks just one question of Dr. Robert Enright, PhD, internationally renowned expert on the science and psychology of forgiveness. What is it to work the forgiveness muscle? What is that? I use an analogy when I talk about how to forgive. When I talk about physical fitness, and physical fitness, as we know, we have to engage in certain kind of behaviors and work at that, and then eventually we change how fast we can run, how far we can run, how many push-ups we can do, and so what we have to do to become physically fit is that we have to go to the gymnasium. Well, I say to people when they start the work of forgiveness, let's hit the forgiveness gym, everybody, and we're going to build our forgiveness muscle by doing work on forgiving the person who has hurt us. And it will be rigorous, it will take time, and we're not going to expect you to run the marathon of forgiveness the first day or first week or first month, but we have to work into it. Are you ready? And when they're ready to hit the forgiveness gem, we pick a person who's hurt them. We talk about all the effects on the one who was hurt. And that can be fatigue. It can be anger. It can be confusion. Uh, The person is disrupted and sees it. And so that kind of pain is motivation to open the gym door and decide to exercise the free will and to go ahead and forgive. So then we hit the weights. We hit the forgiveness equipment in the forgiveness gym. And here are some of these ways to become forgivingly fit and build the forgiveness muscle. We first start with thinking because it's easier to think about the one who hurt us than it is to feel good feelings toward that person. And we have three kinds of exercises that can take a long time, many weeks, sometimes months. We call them the personal, global, and cosmic perspectives. Mm -hmm. And in the personal perspective, we ask the one who forgives to think about the one who was hurtful and how this person was raised as a child and what pains befell this person what wounds were inflicted on the person's heart by unjust treatment from others. Mm -hmm. Not to excuse, but to see someone who is not perfect, to see someone who might be vulnerable, have some weaknesses, and be hurting inside because hurting people often hurt other people. What was life like as an adolescent for this person? Where were some of the stumbling blocks for this person? Where and how was this person wounded? How about early adulthood? So you see we're expanding the story from this person is defined only by the injustice against me to a wider view of a vulnerable, maybe scared and wounded person. That's the personal perspective. The global perspective asks about the shared humanity you have between yourself and the one who hurt you. You both have unique DNA. You both When you cut, you bleed. You both need adequate nutrition and rest. And the fact that you are a unique human being 
makes you special. It makes you have worth. You, I would say to the client, do you realize how special you are? There's no one like you on the planet. There never was and never will be, unless you're an identical twin, which would be rare. And they're still not exactly alike. Yeah. So if that's the case, we ask, then is this person who hurt you also someone who possesses unique DNA, humanity like you, when cut, person bleeds, needs adequate nutrition? Do you see how you share being special, unique, and irreplaceable? Because you both are hum- human beings and you both have worth. You see, now we've expanded the story of who the other is even more. And then we have what we call the cosmic perspective only if the person has a transcendent or spiritual perspective. And if the person does, let's say the person is Jewish or Christian, we then might say, is it true that you are both made in the image and likeness of God, which says that in Genesis 1, the first book of the Bible, and so if the person has this kind of faith, the person would say, oh, yes, well, I see it. That's right there. It's repeated in that same chapter. Oh, so you, client, are made in the image and likeness of God, right? Right? How about the one who hurt you? Is that person made in the image and likeness of God? Now the person says, oh, boy, I don't know if I wanted to hear that. But it expands the story. You're both made in the image and likeness of God. You both have worth. You're both specially unique and irreplaceable, and you both share wounds. Who is the one who hurt you? And as that story is told by the client to the self, compassion starts to build, we find, in the heart, where there's a softness in the heart toward the one who acted badly, where you're willing to say, you know, this person has suffered... I'm willing even a little bit to suffer along with this person in compassion. That softened heart is the beginning of getting rid of that great big ball of anger in the heart that starts shrinking. And when that happens, we then ask the person to stand in the pain, to bear the pain, only if the person is now strong enough by seeing an expanded story of the other with a softer heart. And the Bearing the pain in forgiveness started actually in the 1980s with an Israeli psychiatrist named Morton Kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N. Mm-hmm. And he would ask his clients to stand in the pain of what happened once they become stronger so they don't throw that pain back to the one who was unfair or to unsuspecting others. Yeah, what can happen to generation after generation. Exactly. And so if the person doesn't stand in the pain, pass it on to the children, the children then could grow up to pass it on to their children, and on it goes. So the standing in the pain is the beginning of seeing the self in a new reconstructed way. Seeing the self as stronger than the client thought was possible. Say, hey, I can be a conduit of good for the other. And only when the person can stand in the pain and know the person won't be crushed by that, part of the paradox of forgiveness, you stand in the pain, the pain starts to leave, we then ask the person to exercise forgiveness as a moral virtue and gently ask, can you now 
do something kind or good to the other, such as a return phone call or a smile or even a kind word about the person to others. And it's at that point we see that the person begins to be released from the emotional prison. It's after doing this cognitive work with the personal, global, and cosmic perspectives, softening of the heart, standing in the pain, and offering goodness even in a small way, the person begins to heal emotionally because of the reaching out to the other in these ways. It's incredible. And the concept of bearing the pain has been so helpful to my patients. Oh, yes. very good. Yeah, well, see, Ellen Bergen, also a world-famous uh, psychotherapist, said the same thing in the late 1980s and 1988. So we have Kaufman saying it in 1984, Bergen in 1988, and we have adopted that. They have been my teacher on that point. Thank you. Would you like to be sent an article on how to forgive when someone has been unfaithful? Email Dr. Alexandra at psychologyamerica.com. That's Dr. Alexandra at psychologyamerica.com. And in the subject line, write forgiveness article. Finally, Dr. Alexandra creates this show with love during her volunteer time. To support the production costs of the show, please consider buying her a $3 coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Dr. Alexandra. You can also show your support and encouragement at no cost by going on iTunes and leaving Psychology America with Dr. Alexandra a great rating.